Well, as this new year begins, we thought it made a lot of sense to go back to the beginning, to the very first book in the Bible, to the book of Genesis. Because we begin best when we lay the foundations for the life of faith, the cornerstone being Jesus Christ himself. So this year we're asking the question, what is God calling us to do or to be or to become? We begin by looking at the very nature and value of human life as it's described in the story of creation. So I'll be reading some selected verses from the first chapter of Genesis. Listen for God's word. Now in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? O creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all that is, we come to listen for your voice, to hear your word. So quiet within us any voice but your own and speak to us as only a living God can. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Brian Greene is a professor of physics and mathematics at Columbia University. And he describes his awakening as a scientist. He says, Years ago when I was in high school, my physics teacher gave the class a homework problem calculating the trajectory of a ball swinging from the ceiling by a piece of chewing gum. That night, when I finished the calculation, I ran down the hallway to show my father. I was utterly and profoundly amazed that mathematical symbols scratched in pencil on a piece of paper could describe things that actually happen in the real world. That's when I became hooked on physics. I have to admit, I never really quite became hooked on physics. But I find myself increasingly fascinated by the efforts of physicists to describe how the creation functions. You see, in my physics class, there was this really beautiful girl. And I was more interested in biology than I was in physics. 
But I've tried to read a little bit about modern-day physicists and what they're discovering about the creation. There's an order to the world of our experience. There are laws by which the universe operates. And it appears the universe is not nearly as mechanical as we once thought a few decades ago, but it's profoundly relational. For example, scientists believed until recently that we're spinning around the center of the Milky Way galaxy at about a half a million miles per hour. But new observations suggest that we're traveling much faster than that, maybe 600,000 miles per hour, and that the Milky Way is actually broader and 50% more mass than was previously thought. So here we are this morning, traveling at 600,000 miles per hour, and I don't even feel like I'm moving up here. It blows my mind when I consider the vastness of space and the complexity of the universe and the natural world. One physicist described it this way, quote, if the experience of, of science teaches us anything, It's that the world is very strange and surprising. The many revolutions in science have certainly shown that. And if that's true of our encounter with the physical world, it's likely to be even truer for our encounter with God. Ordered chaos. That's the description in the first chapter of Genesis, and it's a pretty accurate description of what scientists are discovering about the entire universe. I tried to read a little about chaos theory, and I quickly got lost in the details of the argument. I'm not a physicist, after all. But I can't help but wonder about what kind of revolutions in my understanding of God might be necessary to more completely understand and respond to this remarkable creator. Just a month ago on the church page of the San Marino Tribune, three articles appeared. One was written by me, entitled The Surprise of Christmas. Another was the obituary for Dr. Roger Nelson, a member of our church since 1961, who died from the complications of Alzheimer's disease after being institutionalized for more than 12 years. Yesterday afternoon, there was a private graveside for Dr. Nelson with the family. The third article was an obituary about little Darby Jean Rubin, a 15-month-old child born with trisomy 13. It's a rare and terminal medical condition. It happens to be the same condition one of our grandsons was diagnosed with in utero. And little Isaac died before he was born several years ago. But it struck me that the beginning of life and the end of life present us with some of the most difficult ethical challenges. And all of that somehow connected on the page to the surprise of Christmas. 
1975, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church asked for a biblically-based theology of the nature and value of human life to provide a basis for making consistent judgments about all the various issues and cases where the taking of human life is in question. The request was for, quote, resources for persons as they deal with such matters as abortion, euthanasia, human experimentation, biomedical ethics, capital punishment, war, and other matters. And a year later, those other matters were, go- were to include suicide to the list, where the issue of the beginning or the termination of human life must be faced. The goal was to give some unity and consistency to the ethical reflection on the issues of taking human life in an increasingly complex world, especially at the beginning and the end of life. Sometimes difficult decisions have to be made. Almost every hospital I'm aware of has an ethics committee as they try to deal with those issues and try to help families deal with those issues. So though the mandate called for addressing the nature and value of human life, the council began the other way around, placing the value of human life before addressing its nature. And they concluded, from the viewpoint of the biblical tradition and its reformed development, There is no doubt that human life is a value of the first order superseded by no other value. The composite testimony of Scripture is that human beings are a focal point of God's drama of creation and redemption. And out of the vastness of the entire universe, God creates humans for special vocation, which is expressed in terms of the image of God. It's a vocation as representative of God's care and protection for the entire created order. The Bible portrays God as one who's determined to preserve God's people in order that they may be a blessing to all peoples. And here, too, it's apparent that God is not casually interested in human life, as a relatively important matter, but that God cherishes the lives of human lives of human beings and pursues their well-being, their salvation out of an inexhaustible commitment. End quote. So let me just put that a little bit more directly. God cherishes you and pursues your well-being and your salvation out of an inexhaustible commitment. Nothing glorifies God more than a human being fully alive. So you see, how we think about creation, how we think about the universe and what it means to be human, it all matters. And it makes a difference when it comes 
to the beginning and the end of human life especially, it makes a difference when we think about the relative importance of the environment, the plants, the animals that we share, the created order with us. And it makes a difference when we talk about capital punishment, when life goes astray, or when nations take up arm against one another. The council went on to say this, the life and ministry of Jesus provides the ultimate grounding for the value of human life. Even those who were finally arrayed against him in conflict, trial, and crucifixion were never treated with contempt, nor was any violence against them justified. In all its forms and distortions, Jesus acknowledges human beings as precious and valuable. And for them, he sacrifices himself in history on behalf of God. God's love for human life is unequivocal. End quote. So you see, these texts in Genesis have a lot to tell us. And they tell us something that we'll never learn anywhere else. First of all, that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the ultimate source and ground of everything in the observable universe. And secondly, therefore the world and our life in it are good. Despite sometimes extremely tragic experiences of life, life, human life, in this universe is good. And finally, therefore, we need fear nothing. We need fear nothing, but neither can we give our ultimate loyalty to anything in the world. God alone is deserving of our ultimate loyalty. So here we are in this profoundly relational universe, created in the image of God to be made for relationship with God and relationship with one another. You know, many years ago, the Reverend Brian Kirkland was the, for the pastor of the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. And he used to describe the view of the church in terms of ships in New York Harbor. This morning, we have had a number of new members join our congregation in this profoundly relational context of the church. So let me reflect a little bit on the church through the imagery of Bryant Kirkland and the ships in New York Harbor. He said, some view the church as a museum, a little bit like the Queen Mary down the coastline here in Long Beach. Some see the church as a museum. It's simply a nice place to go to see the way things used to be like. Others see the church as a tour boat. It's a fun time if you're not doing anything else and you want to travel around the island a little bit and enjoy the landscape once in a while. A professor at Fuller Seminary 
Eddie Gibbs used to call these the submarine Christians. They emerge every once in a while. And, then, you know. <laughs> and still others see the church as a ferry. It's kind of a functional ship. These are the people who phone up the church office and they say, I'd like to rent the hall for a little while for a wedding or a memorial service. And sometimes I want to respond to them, you can't afford it. There have been people here in this congregation who've been taking care of this place, nurturing this community of faith, cleaning and renewing these facilities for 77 years. You can't afford what it would take to pay these people to rent the hall. But we can give it to you as a gift of grace. But finally, fourthly, there's another way to think about the church. And in New York Harbor, I believe still, the ship Hope is moored there, a gathering place for the wounded and those who are prepared to help them. There's a little heliport there, pad, that sends out people from the good ship Hope, sending out teams to rescue the sick and the wounded. That's the church. A place where people are restored to health and life, where real community happens, where lifelong friendships are formed, where we support one another in remaining faithful to Christ, who's called us into fellowship with himself and with each other the purpose for which we were created in the first place. You see, like the physicist that I'm not, I'm discovering that the world is still a strange and surprising place. And it appears that the universe is not nearly as mechanical as we once thought it was decades ago, but it's profoundly relational. And God has created us in his own image to be in relationship with himself and with one another. One thing we think that the Lord may be calling us to this year is for every one of us to take our place on the good ship Hope, the church, and find some way of contributing in ministry somehow. We're called to be part of a community. We're called to be restored to health and life. We're called to lifelong friendships here to support one another and to reach out to those who may be sick and wounded by life or maybe just sick and tired of the way they're living their lives. So ask yourself this question. What has God uniquely gifted you for? What contribution can you make? Perhaps it's the deacon ministries fair where you'll find a way to express that. It may be as simple as praying for others. Or it may be as complicated as reconfiguring your life and going to seminary and entering the ministry. But whatever it is, let's answer that call together.
Thanks be to God. Amen.